All right, welcome back. We're on to session four, fourth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. We've been through the first three, at least by Protestant reckoning, so now we're on to number four. So what does that mean, honor your father and mother? In fact, in, in where it comes in Exodus, it says, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. They call it the first commandment with a promise. First commandment with a promise. So that's interesting. The, the land that the Lord your God has given you. So um, in a sense, this is um, proxy. This is the first delegate. The first delegate is mother and father, right. in a sense. It's your first relationship of authority. And any authority doesn't act on their own, but they're always a proxy. If it's the authority of the local police, uh, they're not, when they pull you over to stop sign for, for not stopping at a stop sign or whatever the offense might be, they're not acting on their own authority. It's not because you offended them personally. They're acting on the authority of the government that has appointed them as an authority. Who hopefully is acting on the authority of the people who elected them. Right, right. And somewhere inside <laughs> of that is some core value that says we need, we need these rules to be followed in order for everyone to remain safe. So that's why they act on it, ideally. So, uh, in, in the best light, and the best circumstances, this is about creating a good and orderly society so that our days might be long. Uh, so you're going to live. This is about freedom. This is about uh, abundant living at its core. These are, again, back to the Exodus story. People have been released from slavery. Now this is how free people live. God is saying, this is how I want you to live as free people. This is what it takes to be and remain free. And, yeah, part of that is good and orderly society. So we need rules, we need boundaries. And interestingly, um, this is, I think, one of the commandments that is um, so easily distorted, um, especially by people who might not be um, godly leaders. Sure. It's you know, one of the founding principles of our own nation is you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. So we put limits on power. We put very careful safeguards in place. We put multiple layers of responsibility and authority so that no no one person has total authority. And there's lots of different levels to challenge that and, and uh, uh, keep that in check. Yeah. So what is, how, how do you deal? So you know, the, the commandment, you know, obey, obey your mother and father. Mm-hmm. And yet your parent is an alcoholic, abusive individual. What does that mean to, to me as that child or as that adult of that parent? Um, yeah. I read an article some years back from a, from a gentleman that it was saying that. I think the title of the article was uh, Honoring a Dishonorable Man. Yeah, and he had a father that was physically abusive, uh, chemical abusing of chemicals, alcohol, or whatever. I can't remember what exactly, but uh, yeah, that becomes a challenge. And that's you know, this is not a blanket command to obey whoever might have captured some authority, either by by title or by gift of the people or by uh, whatever whatever it was that brought them that authority. It's not a blanket order to obey them no matter what, because it is not their authority. They're acting on God's authority. So God, uh, for lack of a better term, God has earned the trust and God is delegating that trust to your father and mother, but that trust has to be honored by your 
mother and father in right. order for that authority to be valid. Yeah, we call these people uh, positions of trust. So whether it's parents, they're entrusted with the care of these children. Uh, if it's a teacher, they're also entrusted with the care of the students. Uh, a pastor or a priest is entrusted with the care of those that are in his congregation. Uh, the police officer is entrusted with the care of the citizens over which he uh, carries out these laws and protects these laws. Uh, the president of the United States has responsibility, has the trust of the not only the nation, but then our fellow uh, neighbors, other nations around us. It's a, these are positions of trust. And when you break that trust, that's when all... Everything starts unraveling. The entire fabric of society starts unraveling. Just this morning, um, I don't remember all the details of the news report, but there was a school district someplace who has been quietly shuttling um, teachers and other staff out of their district who had misconduct issues. And in the vast majority of the cases, authorities were never contacted. And I think that's a tremendous breach of that trust. Because all we're doing, you know, if you're thinking about that, you're really thinking about, well, what's the reputation of my institution? We're not thinking about what's the safety of not just our students, but the students of the next district where these people go. All right. They've misplaced the trust that they're caring for. They're, they're considering more the trust of the institution than they are the students that are in their care. Um, anytime there's a, we've placed our trust in someone. And the deeper the trust, the more, uh, I think the more vulnerable the person in that trust, the deeper the hurt when the trust is broken. Uh, if it's in a hospital setting and you've entrusted the, you, the family has entrusted to their care, the, the infant or the, the vulnerable injured person, sick person to the care of that institution and they don't properly care for them. They don't either, uh, to, uh, one of the caregivers is siphoning off pain medic medication uh, instead of giving it to the patient who's deeply in need of it. That's a massive trust violation. And it's not just the individual who's offended, who has done the offense that that then comes into question, but the whole institution comes into question. Uh, the church is the same way. When a pastor or a priest uh, abuses the trust of, of uh, either a, a vulnerable adult that has been placed in their care or the children that they're given to teach and care for, uh, it's, a, it's a massive trust violation that ripples through the whole, the whole organization, uh, and it, goes, it can go even for generations beyond that particular offense. Yes, but let's remember that we're humans and this power is seductive. Yes. And so I think the, 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 the thing that we need to continuously remember is that um, uh, for you as a pastor, for me as a physician, or when I'm out speaking, you know, when you're sort of the center of attention, um, it becomes very easy to assume you can fall into this rhythm of I'm right and I know the answers and I'm the holy one, uh, in quotes, and um, then to assume that everything you do is okay, and then this slippery slope can occur. So it's, it's, it's much... It's very black and white when we sit here and talk about it, and it becomes very much less black and white where tiny offenses um, build on each other. And, and unless we are all, 
um, bracing ourselves and guarding ourselves against that um, hubris, um, it becomes an easy thing to see um, see it as not not a real transgression, right. not a real transgression. And then the the small transgressions, the smaller ones, I think, are gateways to bigger ones, perhaps. Right, right. Where you get the cumulative cumulative effect of small effect small offenses that on an, in and of themselves are no big deal. But now you start stacking two or three or four together. Uh, now you've gone down that slope, and it's hard to hard to come back. Right. Yeah, I think that's. Um, with all of these, it's uh, all of these commandments. You know, as we started this, we said, "Well, it seemed like it was the ten ways not to have fun at first, and then slowly we evolved into, well, it's the ten ways in which a civil society can conduct itself, and and then it seems so easy in black and white, but then we have to throw in our own humanity and realize that um, it's it's not." It's not black and white, and right, good, and evil sometimes coexist in the sure. same oh, place. Absolutely, always coexist. Always, yeah, not yeah. sometimes. So maybe that's why the proximity of this commandment is, uh, it is the very first one that's beyond the direct relationship between us and God. So the first one is, I am the Lord your God, no other gods. Remember that. I am, I am it. There is no other, no alternative. Uh, honor my reputation. Uh, and stay in relationship with me. That's the third commandment, really, when you boil it down to its essence. So now now we're starting to turn outward towards our neighbor, and our first relationship with our neighbor starts with family, but extends beyond that to all, the, all those that are, in God's, or that are acting out of God's authority. Uh, but maybe that's the point, too, we need to remember to, to keep turning back. Uh, I am not God. I am not the authority. I'm acting on God's authority. And it's, it's where having these... Uh, arguments, discussions, debates, uh, coming back and being in relationship in community, in family, uh, in uh, faith community, to remind ourselves what is the true nature of God, what is the true core uh, that we're being asked to trust in the first place, and then also that that trust has been placed in our hands, and how are we attending for how are we tending to that trust? How are we managing that trust? Are we honoring that trust? Are we honoring our heavenly Father by the things that we're doing? Yeah, so back to the idea of my, and this is not true of my father, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, let's just assume for a minute, because it's unfortunately not uncommon, my father is um, a alcoholic who is a fantastic human being when he's sober, but when he's not sober uh, is, is um, very difficult, maybe physically, maybe mentally, maybe verbally abusive, so what is my obligation to honor my father at that point? Uh, I, think, I think our obligation is to remember our first father, our heavenly father, and what is the, the core of that. And if, if this person, whether it's parents or others that are in authority, if they're not acting in accord with that higher authority, then we have a responsibility to challenge it. And so as a child, that becomes difficult, but hopefully it's... it's Hopefully, at that point, the mother's responsibility to find a way to challenge it, or, or the, the community. community, or the community, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we have to be able to, as a community, say this behavior does not stand. This does not uh, help us as a community. It doesn't help us as individuals. Uh, 
it is not the thing that's going to help us live long in the land. And from a, from a medical point of view, uh, I'd like to point out that if somebody is uh, using alcohol or drugs or whatever, that's a disease process. And I think, you know, we, it's easy to point at that individual and say sinner. Um, it's much more difficult to have compassion And just as we would have compassion for that abused individual, we need to have compassion for that abuser and help them be better. Right. And if that means rehabilitation of some kind and counseling and those kinds of things, I think that's an important piece. And I think that's part of the uh, authority and the command of love your neighbor. Right. And uh, like you say, this is... Sin is, is always right connected to everything, even the most godly things that we do. It's connected right there. It is absolutely always right on the threshold. So, Simultaneously, sinner and, and saint. saint. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we, you almost have to be constantly on guard, constantly vigilant about, you know, am, where am I in this? And where, where are we as a society in, in this spectrum of things? Uh, and always vigilant about crossing lines. Uh, redemption, certainly a part of that, being able to, to correct and bring people back from the abyss and help them become better people, certainly a part of it. Uh, recognizing, first, that we've all got limitations that we're all going to mess up, so nobody is beyond question. Uh, but when and where it's possible to, to bring reconciliation, to bring uh, a change in behavior, a change in the way we look at things. You know, think about the the uh, civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. We, as a society, had kind of turned a blind eye for a long time uh, to even our, our 13th Amendment. And it took some doing to kind of open people's eyes and to, to uh, get people to acknowledge that we collectively, as a society, had really really straight, even from one of our core fundamental values that goes way back to the founding of the nation. Um, and certainly we're still in the midst of that struggle and that, that sin of ours as a nation. Um, but it took people that were courageous enough to stand up or not stand up. Or sit down. Sit down, yeah, <laughs> In, a, as in the front works, of a bus. Yeah, and, uh, and say, no, this is not right. And with enough... Uh, with enough voices and with enough actions like that, uh, people start to take note and people start to re-examine their behavior or what they allow in behaviors of others around them, and things start to change. And there is a there is a um, a danger to even this. Um, you you find. Um, it, well, it's easier to see the speck in your neighbor's eye than the plank in your own eye, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, absolutely. So you start thinking, well, those people are doing it wrong, and now you become the authority and you start, you know, this is where we get into um, these sort of cloistered communities where, you know, we all drink the Kool-Aid together and all of these things where one authority in that group becomes the only voice of truth and that's that's the you know these are the extremes and at each each iteration of this we can find an extreme so the good becomes the evil 
and the evil becomes the good at some point. And it's not just simultaneously, well, simultaneously saint and sinner, because it's almost like that yin-yang symbol of, mm-hmm. of black go, turning to white and white within black and black within white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so without deep, serious soul-searching at every turn, um, you know, we become tyrants. Mm-hmm. And there's all you have to do is watch the movie or read the book, Lord of the Flies, mm-hmm. and you realize mm-hmm. that this is really, or, you know, Animal Farm. I mean, there's, there's thousands of stories about how humans, there's a famous study um, uh, from Stanford where students were... Um, put into a study situation, half were inmates, in quotes, and the other half were guards. And over time, the guards became so brutal that they had to stop the, um, the experiment. Uh, and these were just Stanford College kids. These were, <laughs> so, these were um, you know, presumably um, the, the best of our best. And yet they devolved to this point in just days. There's a story I was told one time about, uh, I, I can't remember the particulars of where it was, but for, for illustration purposes, it's a third world nation and a missionary is out visiting and learning about this new culture that he's in and uh, a particular village that he's coming into, he notices there's a group of people kind of on the outside edge of the town and they're in a very intense discussion. And one person seems to be kind of the focus of the discussion and the others somehow talking with him, coaching him, uh, but it's obvious that one is sort of standing out from the rest of the crowd. And so the missionary asked his guide about this, what was, what, what was going on here, what was, the, what was the event that was happening here? And uh, the guide told him, well, this is a, a person that had, been, had committed some egregious offense against the community, and he'd been put out of the community, excommunicated, you might say. Um, but now he was being brought back into the community, and so he asked more, you know, so how does this happen or how does this work? And uh, it, the guy told him, well, he's being remembered. They're telling him stories. They're telling him uh, to remember who he is and who they are as a people, as their, their community, their society. And by, not by punishing him, not by uh, telling him all the horrible things that he's done, uh, but focusing on what the what the good is in the community and what the values of the community are and remembering who he was as part of that. And I thought that was, that was just a beautiful example or beautiful illustration to be remembered into the community. Uh, like a member of your body that had been severed and cut off, uh, you're now being reattached and regrafted back into that community to be remembered. And story is such a powerful tool and it's so interesting you know just that metaphor of you did something that offended the community you're removed from the community as punishment but also really as a reminder of what the community has done for you and then the community comes out to you at the outskirts of the community and re-brings you back in it's powerful powerful and then just the stories of this is what a community is and this is why we're a community and this is what we do for each other imagine if we could create that yeah. in in uh, you know cuz a big problem in our in our society are gangs 
And gangs create their own community. Mm -hmm. And gangs fill a need. Not in a good way, probably, but they fill a need within communities. And that is for people to belong, especially young men. Young men need to belong. And if they don't belong to something good, they're going to find attachment to something evil. When I was a high school student, new kids would come in to school and all of the cliques had already been formed. And you know who the most welcoming people were in school? It was the smoking section. You know, it was the outcasts. The outcasts. Yeah. They would welcome anyone into their fold. And sure. and so, you know, it's, it's an interesting conundrum that um, why is it that the pious don't welcome the new? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, and then what does Jesus do? Jesus is out on the fringes. Yeah. He's out in the smoking section. Yes, he is. He's out hanging out with the, the hookers and the tax collectors and the... Uh, and all the, the all the ne'er do wells. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that's absolutely the model and example that, that Jesus sets too. Yeah. Uh, these are people that need to be remembered back into the community. They need to be reminded who they are and that they have value and that there is reason behind these things and and uh, to be brought back in and to be regrafted onto the body. Yes. Which sounds like a fairly complete story. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, come back again for the next episode.